Well, Dan, did you ever play an instrument? Yeah. Which one? Trumpet. And then I got braces. Yes. Vengeance was the terpsichore. Oh my God. I just remember middle school, every single person in band got braces and just everyone sucked for like <laughs> two plus years. It's great. Yeah. You cannot play trumpet with braces without having no. massive amounts of blood by the mm-hmm. end. I switched to kazoo. Much more on brand. Yes. Yes. And I am a kazoo master now. Ooh. You haven't used this talent in church. Why? I've not been asked. So are we instituting the RELC kazoo choir? We should. Mm-hmm. I feel like a mighty fortress is our god on kazoo. On kazoo. On kazoo. And our, uh, our choir is going to be called the kazoomers. Church <laughs> in space. Oh, welcome everybody to Church in Space. In 3D! Man, we, we're just so much faster at that. We're mm-hmm. cleaner, we're quicker. Uh, welcome, I am Pastor Dave at RELC. I, I am. am. <laughs> we usually go this way. <laughs> I'm even looking this way. I'm looking <laughs> at you. Oh, well, then that's my bad. I'm blind to my right eye and my left now, apparently. <laughs> Perpetually through life lopsided. <laughs> I think it's just a sign that Drew and I are two different avatars of the same core entity. Hold on. Are you sure we just aren't the same person in different points in space and time? I think it may be. It may just be. I can see Derek forming a little bit over there. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> can we get through these introductions? <laughs> People need to remember who's actually doing this podcast. So then I'm Derek. <laughs> and I am Derek, too. Uh, their names are Dan and Drew, everybody. <laughs> uh, all right, so today's topic is Mad Max and various forms of post-apocalyptia. This was inspired because I watched Mad Max Fury Road recently, and I just thought, one, every battle scene needs a guy on a giant car that's nothing but speakers <laughs> playing guitar. <laughs> this needs to become a real... That's the best part of the whole movie. <laughs> Is that guy like <laughs> guitar riffs the entire time? That should be all of Guitar Hero. Right. But it got me thinking about post-apocalyptia, and uh, we get a different version of the apocalypse in Mad Max than we get in like other forms of the apocalypse that take place, right? Not just Mad Max. The whole, you know, New Zealand, Australia of apocalypse is very different from the North American European view Mm -hmm. of an apocalypse. It's zanier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of foolishness about it from the very, even from the beginning of the Mad Max series, right? It's less like everything's destroyed and more like, like everybody's gone crazy. Well, I don't know if it's that they so much gone crazy as they've accepted it. You know, in those movies, when you look at the characters, Mm -hmm. they're they're much more comfortable in their apocalypse, apocalypse, post-apocalyptic world than the North American European people are. Like contrast, say, 28 days with this, even going back to the the 50s and 60s on the beach, which was one of the first post-nuclear apocalypse. But even that one, you know, it's got such a sense of dread and everybody's so sad once all the bombs finally go off. And it's like. 
basically just a submarine crew that's all that's left alive. Mm-hmm. If that same movie had been filmed by like Peter Jackson as a New Zealand film before The Lord of the Rings and he broke out, yeah. his sub crew would have been like, all right, <laughs> my debts are paid. Yeah. I don't have to worry about it, my mortgage anymore. You know, the, let's cruise the world and right. just, you know. Beachfront property is now available. For yeah. Us. <laughs> yeah. Tank girl, you know, mm-hmm. everybody down under accepts the apocalypse and, and just rolls with it. Right. And we fight it up here. It is an interesting observation because it's true, like Mad Max. The first movie is really weird. Can I just say that? Mad Max 1. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard to think that movie spawned this action franchise. <laughs> like, every time I watch it, I'm like, really? This is what produced like Mel Gibson's career? <laughs> but a lot of first movies of a franchise are like that. Yeah, right. Highlander. You know, the first Highlander movie, there's a lot of rough spots in that one. Except Sean Connery's in, in yeah. the first. And I just love the guy with the Scottish accent playing the, <laughs> the Spanish swords. <laughs> and a French guy playing the Scot. Right, yeah. I know, right? <laughs> oh, may we? Okay, we'll have some haggis. I watched uh, <laughs> Hunt for the Red October, speaking of Sean Connery. Uh-huh. And again... And there's something about Sean Connery where, like, you just switch off the disbelief. Yeah. Like, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, here's this guy speaking in a, he's a Russian submarine captain <laughs> and he's speaking in a Scottish accent. Yeah. The enti- even when he's speaking Russian, he's speaking in a Scottish accent. Sean Connery, it doesn't matter. Just flip off the disbelief switch. Like, fine, whatever. Sean Connery, <laughs> let's just say it right now. Sean mm-hmm. Connery is the Scotch Welsh version of our Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, there we go. Mm-hmm. He can just appear in anything. Uh-huh. I mean, even Zardoz, one of the worst movies ever made right. on the planet. And yet Sean Connery is still like, yeah, Connery in a Speedo in his middle age. Mm-hmm. It still works. It's right. Sean Connery. Right. Yeah. He takes it totally. It's yeah. totally seriously. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, why not? Okay. Samuel L. Jackson can do the same thing. You <laughs> right. plop him in anything and it's like, yeah, now it's awesome. Right. Now it's great. <laughs> now it's great. Yes. 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 So back to Apocalyptia, Mad Max. There's this interesting theme of hope in all those movies. Like, Max doesn't want to hope. Mm-hmm. He doesn't actually even want to be a hopeful character. And yet, <laughs> he's always kind of the source of why there is hope in the movies, right? It's so like, in mm-hmm. two, it's like, he doesn't really want to help this little tribe of besieged people, but he needs gas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he ends up, like, the movie ends on, like, he saves them and they become the great northern tribe. You mm-hmm. know, like... He becomes this force for hope in the world, even though he doesn't want to do it at all. And that's the theme of like the whole Fury Road movie is like, is there, it's trying to answer the question, like, is there hope at all? Yeah. And Max, like he literally says at one point, no, there is no hope or it's foolish to hope. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Then he goes and liberates the whole thing. Right. (laughs) Hope is just happenstance. Yeah. Or it's emotional. One of the two. It's never logical. Right. Like, really, let's think of this from a logical standpoint. Uh Hope doesn't always work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very emotional. When you have hope, yes, you know, do a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But hope isn't going to have a huge outcome of a David versus Goliath nowadays. Yeah. Goliath is just going to stomp David. Except when it doesn't, right? Which is the whole point of hope. Weird things happen. Yes, weird things happen, but that's the chaos of hope. Yeah. The chaos of hope. Mm-hmm. Yo, I think you could write a dissertation on that. Be a good sermon title, Chaos of Hope. Yeah. Ooh. File that one away. Okay. Yeah. If you do that, you owe Drew some royalties. Yeah. Plagiarism is a noble tradition <laughs> in the Christian church. It's the highest form of flattery. <laughs> 
no, I, I cite my sources, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not a good story. Good stories have to be about hope. Yeah. If it's always inevitable, why would you go to the movie? It's just, you know. Because <laughs> I'm Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good point. I had a friend who thought that like the whole Avengers arc should have ended on Infinity War, the first part, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, where Thanos wins. Yes. <laughs> My entire point was just to see the snap. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. I just want to see that. He's like, it should have just ended there. Yep. I'm like, but there's no hope. He goes, I don't want hope. <laughs> And it's like, well, that's depressing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right? You know, if the Empire always wins, if Darth Vader always marches down the hallway and mm-hmm. slices everybody in half, right? There is little to see, Yeah, you know? And Empire Strikes Back proved that if the movie is part of a greater whole and you know that, yeah. then you'll accept the lack of hope. Mm-hmm. But that's because you have hope mm-hmm. that the concluding episode of the saga is going to restore and there's something, too, specifically about Star Wars where, like, maybe science fiction in general, maybe stories in general, but Star Wars is always best when there, it's tragedy with just a dash of hope thrown in. As a spice. Right, as a mm-hmm. spice. So I think Empire Strikes Back is the best movie of the original trilogy. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. most critics agree with that. Yeah, yes. but, like, it's because it's this very tragic story with just a mm-hmm. little bit of hope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of like splashed in. Yeah. <laughs> just that little bit of hope to right. carry you over to the Ewoks. Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, in Rogue One, right? I think that's why yes. Rogue One is a, like I would rank as the second best Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, right? They all die. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Talk about inevitability. Right. There is inevitability, right? Yep. They all die. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Not much of a spoiler. I mean, you kind of like the first five minutes of the movie, you, you know they're all going to die. Right. Yeah. yeah. But there's this little bit of hope just kind of tossed in there, yeah, you know, yeah. and you're like, okay, this is what makes it great. Maybe that's a story thing in general, but it's especially true for Star Wars that it's much better that than it is like the climactic good win, you know, yeah, yeah. like like in Revenge of the Sith. It was just inevitable. I mean, very well done. Yeah. Better than the other two. Mm-hmm. But it was just like, okay, can we get to the end now? We kind of all know what's going to happen. I mean, granted, we did get the high ground, which was kind of worth it. (laughs) I've got the high ground. Yeah. You underestimate my power. (laughs) Yeah. I loved in the original Lego Star Wars game, Mm -hmm. when they first came out with the Uh first three, there was a part where if you didn't end up landing a hit on Anakin, Uh Anakin would kill Obi-Wan, and then the Empire took over, and that was the end of the game. (laughs) Game ending. (laughs) Well, there we go. Yeah. No wonder you like the Lego games for so much. Well, duh. Alternate Star Wars histories. Yes. Okay. Game. Alternate Star Wars histories. Yeah. What would have happened if R2-D2 got shot in episode one? What would have happened had he been one of those droids that got blasted up? Right. That little droid is responsible for saving the entire universe. Mm Mm-hmm. Not once, like... Every single movie. Maybe R2-D2 is actually God in that universe. Ooh. Yeah. The incarnation of God and to, to save the universe from... Could happen. I, yeah. I'm pondering that because it actually makes no, sense. No, I don't think so because there's too much foul language. Hey, man. <laughs> Did you hear Pastor before we started yeah. recording? I, I heard it, but I don't think God would go around cussing at people the entire time. I would have a little hope that he would be a little bit more high class because R2-D2 is not high class. 
Yes. So back to hope and post-apocalyptia in Mad Max. Mad Max, part of the reason it works is that it's just like Stephen Donaldson's white gold wielder in the whole Lord Falsbane mm-hmm. trilogy. It's the ultimate antihero. Just like the protagonist in Donaldson's works, who just fights being mm-hmm. the good guy, does not want to be involved yeah. in any kind. Mad Max is the same way. He doesn't want to get involved with all that other stuff, and he, especially once you get his backstory. Yeah, he doesn't want to be hero. Right. He wants nothing to do with that world. And if you get to the song from Thunderdome, right? Mm-hmm. The world doesn't really want a hero either. Yeah. You know, like nobody actually wants the hero. He doesn't want to be the hero. You know. Yeah. Yet they need it. Right. They kind of end up being the hero. Like we talk a lot about antiheroes nowadays because there's so many shows that have been like antiheroes. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because with modern world, when we say anti-hero, what we really mean is like bad guy that you're rooting for. Mad Max is the true anti-hero. He's not a bad guy that you're rooting for. He doesn't want to be the hero and he ends up being it anyway, which I actually think is a more compelling story. Yeah. I mean, look at the Punisher. Yeah. Frank Castle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. he doesn't care about anyone else. I just want to know who killed my family. Yeah. Right. We should do a whole thing on the Punisher. With Samuel L. Jackson. Who's the Punisher? (laughs) (laughs) mine's still better (laughs) oh but it's amazing to me Mm. how much mileage the punisher has gotten as a marvel character given that very basis that his whole motivation is getting vengeance Mm -hmm. because of his family being offed yeah yeah and yet 40 years after he was created yeah (laughs) right the punisher still has longevity it's like how long can that one simple motivation last the character yet marvel's pulled it off look now he's uh with a cosmic ghost rider right now Mm -hmm. he's going around planet to planet and just taking revenge on everybody i mean simple motivations are better right like mad max's simple motivation of i just want to get my car fixed Mm -hmm. get gas they're clearly identifiable. You know why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. And it's more true to life. People often have pretty simple motivations. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. we, we overanalyze it so often. People have simple motivations. They might have conflicting motivations. Yeah. But mm-hmm. usually they're pretty simple. Well, speaking of motivations, see, that's another difference between mm-hmm. Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere apocalyptia. Uh-huh. Hmm. Southern Hemisphere they're not all that concerned with explaining how the apocalypse came to happen. Mm-hmm. It's just, here's this world. Yeah, we'll leave it to you to figure out why they're in this <laughs> yeah. state. Whereas the Northern Hemisphere movies are always very much belabor. Right. In fact, half of the movies are about leading up to the apocalypse. Right. Yeah. And just a few days after it, and then they end. Whereas right. the Southern Hemisphere are like, no, this is life afterward, and everybody's having a zany time. Right. <laughs> Everybody's in racing cars. Yes. <laughs> There's no gas, but we're all in racing cars. Yeah, I mean, there is a thing where like people almost spend sometimes too much time on backstory. Yeah, that's why I think everybody needs to read science fiction short stories. Like I was reading the guy who ran the the short story magazine for Asimov. He used to tell all the authors, he used to say, all right, cut the first two paragraphs out of everything <laughs> that you do because like that exposition is is yeah. not needed. And like I think it shows you how much it's not needed in like even modern movies where like Dune, what made Dune work is that they just cut all the exposition. There was just literally 
<laughs> there are whole scenes in that book that take chapters upon chapters and like they take like 15 seconds you know mm. in the movie because he's like no nope, we're not gonna do any exposition <laughs> it's like this is the universe deal with it yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like oh that actually worked but part of it's because it's a different medium too because yeah. you can use other senses to at least imply what that backstory is right Right. I was just thinking of just backstory in general, like how many TV shows you have to watch to watch one Marvel movie now. Yeah, if you're trying to jump in. Yeah, if you just watch the newest Spider-Man, it's like you have to know all of the Spider-Mans that came out beforehand. You have to know all of the backstory of all the Avengers movies that just happened. Right, just to get up to like current Tom Holland, you've got to know, not only do you have to watch the three movies and all Mm -hmm. the other movies, to get Tom Holland's character motivations, you got to mm-hmm. watch Civil War. <laughs> yep, got to watch <laughs> right? Civil War. You got to get watch... Civil War. You've got to watch like the entirety mm-hmm. of the second arc. <laughs> Winter Soldier. You got to yeah. watch Winter Soldier. You got to watch Age of Ultron because yep. like that conflict doesn't make sense without watching. You yeah, know? Mm-hmm. which is why I feel like if you had just stories nowadays, but here you go, no backstory, just go. It would make more money a little bit less complicated and people would like it more. Well, there is a thing about this is what makes the Avengers work over DC. I know these characters because I've watched so much of these characters. Mm. Like I know them now. There's this scene and I think it's Thor Ragnarok where Loki turns into Captain America and pretends to speak Mm. like him for a while. And it's like, it's this little like 15 second vignette if you think about how much went into that vignette for me to understand it and laugh at it. I think it's Dark World. Yeah, I think it's Dark World. But it's like, but I've got to know, I've got to see all the Captain America movies and all the Thor movies Mm -hmm. and the Avengers movies to understand why that scene is funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or like the puny god scene in Ragnarok. Or... Right. That's how it feels. <laughs> There's a lot going on there. Yeah. And it's great because Marvel's done a really good job at making me watch all these movies yeah. and building up to this moment where like that felt like an organic movement mm. in the series. And DC just doesn't have that whenever yeah. I watch the DC movies. The newest Batman movie proves that if you just do the one-off, it could be pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I think DC should do more of that because that's kind of what that universe is is made for. Especially that one because you're coming in early. So as a creator, you have the excuse of being able to play with it because you're so early in both Batman's and many of the villains' careers. The continuity doesn't really matter because they're still figuring themselves out. Yeah. And the Batman we know and the Riddler we know are all from after they're fully developed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Post-apocalyptic, hope. I have a question for you, too. Mm -hmm. Why do you think the Southern Hemisphere is fine with not explaining the apocalypse and just showing post-apocalyptic life and loving it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the Northern Hemisphere isn't? They're preoccupied with how we got to the apocalypse and not loving it. It's the water going down the drain the opposite direction. (laughs) The Coriolis force. (laughs) I knew it. (laughs) Dang you, Coriolis force. (laughs) You knew there had to be a purpose to it. (laughs) Exactly. I don't have a better answer than that. But look at, like, the life around Australia. Mm-hmm. Like, just the wilderness around it. From what I've seen of Australia, yes. it's already kind of like a post-apocalyptic landscape. Exactly. <laughs> they just accept what it is. Right. They don't really change much. Like, they're not like a bunch of forests that you have to cut down. It's just, okay, look out for giant spiders, giant snakes, giant animals in general, <laughs> and hope you live. There are bugs that can kill you. There's this thing that jumps on two legs that's as tall as you are. And like... they can <laughs> knock you out with one punch. Right. I think there is something to that, that it's... This is just where we live. Yeah. (laughs) 
you know, I mean, this is why they film it in Australia, right? Like, you know, they film it in deserts is because like most of the continents actually a desert, <laughs> you know, the whole mm-hmm. middle section of it is, yeah. is a big desert. So I, I actually think Drew's on to something with that about they kind of live in a, I guess I would say a strange landscape already. There's no use in explaining it. They yeah. found it that way. Mm-hmm. It's just that. That's just the way it is. In other words, what to us is post-apocalyptic <laughs> life is just how life is there anyway. Yeah. yeah. I also think there's this attitude that we have where like we are citizens of the most powerful country on earth in the richest society the world has ever known. Mm-hmm. So like we actually spend a lot of time belaboring under the illusion of control. You know, so if the world goes to hell in a handbasket, we got to explain how, because it like it happened on our watch. <laughs> <laughs> or just isolation versus connectedness. I mean, yeah. you got to think of New Zealand or Australia because they're so far away from everybody. If you need fuel, how would you actually get it to Australia and New Zealand in a post-apocalyptic mm. world? Whereas with in America and over in Asia and Europe, they're like, we need help. Can you help us? You're not that far away. Yeah, isolation has a bit to do with it. The illusion of control that we kind of labor, we've got to explain it because it was our our turn at the watch. Yeah. yeah. Day after tomorrow, right? Like, mm-hmm. we got to explain how the environment collapsed because it was on our watch. Mm-hmm. All that kind of yeah. stuff, right? And I wonder if some of that then is because we don't think about it as much because we think we're under control, just in our everyday lives. As Drew pointed out and you pointed out, the outback, this vast, mm-hmm. dry, I don't want to say wasteland, but you're not close to a lot of resources. To get resources, they have to travel hundreds of miles to get to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they're always thinking about survivability and you know, yeah. kind of circular economy, always reusing. Mm-hmm. Be interesting if like film like there was a filmmaker from Alaska who would have hmm. like the same feel. Mm. If like Frontier has something to do with it. Yeah. Frontier and like separateness you know if there was like a famous alaskan science fiction movie maker you know would it have a similar like this is just the way things are you know it's cold there's <laughs> that got me thinking too maybe even first nations would first Nations sci-fi considering yeah how much i mean let's be blunt a lot of the reservation land that we ceded to them yeah was because we saw no value in it Right. So like a tremendous amount of Navajo territory, for example, right. is just desert. Yeah. It's like yeah. the outback. That would kind of be the proof if we saw more First Nation sci-fi mm-hmm. and it reflected Australian New Zealand sci-fi. Like frontier like that yeah. do something to it. Yeah. Does anyone know what the furthest north Canadian province is by any chance? I don't. I don't. But I, I don't feel like either. like Saskatchewan or something way up there. Yeah. One of those islands up there. Yeah. Uh, right. That would be a great place to have a science fiction show. The thing. That's <laughs> yeah. exactly right. They're cut yeah. off. No resources. They have to make do and fight off the alien. Mm-hmm. No real explanation yeah. for it. You yeah. know? It's just there. Just, they discovered just, it. Boom. Yeah. Right. But they've got to do it all with no support, with just what little bit they have in that yeah. remote mm-hmm. polar research station. Yeah. I think that bears out the combination of your two hypotheses. The thing does it right there. Mm -hmm. So we figured out deep mysteries of the universe. Mm -hmm. Wow. The enlightenment, you know, if people listening to the regular podcasts, Mm -hmm. the enlightenment that people would garner was just astounding. It just happens weeks later. Yeah. They need time to just stay true. (laughs) Oh, the the episodes before we put them out, we have to like ferment them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
and get just aged podcasts. Exactly. <laughs> mm. <laughs> this is like fine wines. Yeah. Great church, bourbons. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Church in space. Finely aged. Barrel aged <laughs> episodes. That's right. <laughs> Careful listeners will note an mm. undertone of tannins. Yeah. Based on the speed. Yeah. That's how barrel aged it's going to be. That's right. The speed of in 3D that mm-hmm. 3D. immediately tells us. <laughs> so that's how we know how. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I edit them wearing aged oak headphones. Ooh. So, you know, it just. Sounds like it would hurt. <laughs> it does, but you know, the pain is worth it. The pain mm. and suffering is worth it. Uh, we did a recasting game recently, and so similar game, but this time it's we're on a Samuel L. Jackson kick today. So if you could recast Samuel L. Jackson into one science fiction or fantasy property and make it better, yeah. what would that character and property be? Who wants to go first? I will go first. Okay. Gandalf. You stole mine. <laughs> Dang it. Yes. I want to go first because I actually really thought that you were going to go that way. Oh, you stole mine. Yes. Oh, oh. Okay, that's fine. I've got a backup. It would make the hobbits. It would make Lord of the Rings. It would make the whole thing better. When he hits Denethor. Yes. <laughs> that's it. Yep. The scene with Pippin and Moria. We just <laughs> You full of a took. Right. It would just it would just be comedy. You mother of expletive deleted here. <laughs> yeah. It would be comedy gold. Yeah. What do you replace your yeah. original thought with then? Uh Samuel Jackson as Khan in uh, Star Trek Two. Hmm. I just want to hear Samuel Jackson spouting off those Shakespearean line, <laughs> like him quoting Shakespeare. <laughs> I want to hear Samuel Jackson say, have you ever heard the clean on proverb that says revenge is a dish best served cold? I just want to, that's the, you could stop the movie. It, revenge is a dish best served. <laughs> Expletive deleted here. Cold. Yeah, right. I want to hear that. That's what I want to hear very badly mm-hmm. with yeah. Kirk responding to that completely the same. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you could just do it. You could just do an edit. Like yeah. a defake. <laughs> Of right. Samuel L. Jackson. Right, just like edit out Ricardo Montalban, <laughs> insert Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> I love it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that works. That works. And everybody else has to react the exact same. It would be comedy gold. No, you just have to edit him out. You don't have to change anything else. Right, no, just, that's what I mean. Just yeah. edit. Yeah. Right, right. Yes. All right, Dan. Oh, mine pales in comparison to that. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I was thinking of going all the way back to the birth of sci-fi, the very first fully sci-fi story, Frankenstein. And go up to the 30s mm. with the classic Frankenstein movie, mm-hmm. but replace Boris Karloff <laughs> with Samuel L. Jackson. No, that's really good. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. That's really good. That works. That, that, that totally, I'm sold. Yep. Uh, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it working. Yeah. Totally. We have the technology to do it. Let's yeah. do this. Yeah. You know? <laughs> We need to use this deep fake and digital yes. editing powers for good, not for evil. <laughs> and by good, we mean Samuel, Samuel L. Jackson. Jackson. <laughs> We've been remarkably agreed on this episode, so I think that's yes. where we got to end yeah. it today. Yeah. We're all on the same page. So thank you, folks. This has been Church in Space. In 3D! Hey, Dan. Yeah, Drew. Did you bring the snakes? They're on a plane. Okay. Okay. <laughs>